Welcome to Cat Talk Radio with your host, Molly DeVos. Molly is a cat expert and certified feline training and behavior specialist. With her expertise and her guests, you'll learn how to interpret and control behavior issues with your cat, how to entertain and converse with them, and keep up on the latest feline news around the world. Now, here is Molly DeVos. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Cat Talk Radio. I'm your host, Molly DeVos, and I'm joined today by my handsome co-host and husband, Dewey. Hi, everyone out there in the great big cat world, and hello to my beautiful wife and host of this show. Wow. So today, I think we've got something really easy. I'm going to be reading off questions. Finally, we got some questions, and that's a great thing. I'm looking for anybody to send questions. Uh, But these are questions that have been submitted from some of our listeners, and Let's see if we can't stump you with a few of these. Ah, yeah. Bring it on. Bring it on. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So we got so many questions submitted that we're probably going to have to break this up into two separate series. Yeah. uh, Because it may be a long, long thing. So let's break it up. And uh, I've picked up some questions here. One of them comes from Robin from New Mexico. Who wants to know, which is her question, I'm using the litter you recommended, but it tracks all over the place. Is there something I can do about that? I get asked that one a lot because, you know, first of all, um, this is one that uh, I don't have a really good answer for (laughs) because um, I do recommend a very lightweight, soft, fluffy litter. So typically I recommend Tidy Cats 24-7 featherweight in the clean, unscented. So it doesn't have any harsh chemicals. It's a very clean litter and it does clump easily and it's easy to get. Most of the stores have it. So I recommend that one and the cats like it, right? But you're right, it does track and um, and good litters do track because Gosh, if you were going to give your cat the best litter in the world, it would be sand, like regular old play box sand. But you talk about tracking. Oh, my gosh, that really tracks everywhere. So, you know, there just isn't a a lot to do. I mean, I have a, a track mat under mine. It's one of those mats that has holes in it. It's two pieces as a solid piece on the bottom. And then on the top, the mat has holes in it. So the litter collects in the holes. And then when you go to dump it, it just slides out. But that doesn't keep it you know, out of the bed. I mean, gosh, we got in bed last night and I could feel litter in the bed. I was like, oh God, this is awful. And to brush it all out of the bed. So no, there's no real answer. Um, I do keep a good old Black and Decker dust buster right next to the litter boxes. And I, you know, at night when I'm scooping before we go to bed, I scoop everything. And then I just use that dust buster. And pretty much every time I scoop or if I see any litter tracking, I use the dust buster. But don't revert back to pellets just because you think, oh my gosh, that litter tracks too bad. I mean, the cats like it. Cats like it a lot. They dig in. I love to dig in it because it's so light and fluffy and it and it simulates sand pretty well. So, sorry, there's no 
real answer of how you keep good litter from tracking all over the place. You just have to clean up after it. Little dustpan, my neighbor that we cat sit for keeps a little a little broom and dustpan thing next to it. So, you know, every time I scoop over there, I sweep up the, the litter that's tracked out. So, right so off the bat, give me one that I can't give you a great answer for. <laughs> yeah, right off the bat, we, <laughs> we get you. All right, the next one comes from Lisa who asks, when my cat grabs a toy, how careful do I need to be in pulling on it? Hmm. Well, that's an interesting question. You certainly don't want to injure the cat. Um, I, I like to think about pulling on toys. You know, presumably, obviously, you're playing with a wand toy, and the cat's got the end of the wand toy and and got a good grip on it. How hard do you pull it to get it back out? Well, I like to think about it like moving the toy like prey. So you you gently pull on it and then give some slack and then you watch the cat's jaw ease a little bit and then tug some more. You don't want to tug continuously because that's not how prey move, you know. The prey get tired and they stop squirming after a while. But, you know, also remember this isn't about playing keep away. It's about letting your cat get that kill bite in because they they need that kill bite. That's what that's what gives them that serotonin boost in their brain and bumps up the dopamine and makes them feel good, you know. You so don't I wouldn't be in too much of a hurry to to pull that toy out and when you do just kind of gently gently tug on it like a like a prey squirming, you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting. It's an interesting question though. I mean, I hadn't thought about it, but I I think I've actually kind of, you know, thought about it at some point. And went, I wonder how much is enough. Yeah, because anyway, you don't want to, I mean, you wouldn't want to, like, pull your cat's teeth out or anything, which I suppose, you know, our kitten's getting to be the age where his teeth, you know, maybe coming out, his baby teeth may be coming out anyway. So, yeah, you don't want to pull any teeth out. Oh, Definitely. look, honey, we have a toothless cat. I don't know how that happened. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the next one comes from Samantha in Fort Worth who asks... What are ways to keep an outdoor kitty cool in the summer? What are signs an outdoor cat is dehydrated or overheated? Hmm. Good one. Well, that's an interesting question. So I'm assuming that we're talking about a community cat here because, I mean, usually if you own a cat these days, you keep it inside. And if it has access to the outside, it's a cat run or something, or you've got it on a leash. So I'm assuming that you're talking about a, a community cat, regardless of behavior. Um, could be feral, unsocial, could be a social community cat. There's all kinds out there. But, you know, you need to know that um, outdoor cats are very resilient. And this question comes from someone in Fort Worth. So it's a pretty moderate climate in, in Texas there. And cats can thrive in just about any habitat. I mean, you know, cats living outside also get most of their water from the prey that they eat. So they're they're going to be rarely dehydrated. Remember, a cat doesn't have a real strong thirst drive anyway because they get all of their moisture from their prey. But if you feel compelled to spoil an outdoor cat, bless you, and uh, provide <laughs> shade in a well-ventilated area, that would be important. Um, you know, and if you really want to go the extra mile, put a, a vat of ice water out there that they can lay next to, you know, and you put ice and water 
in you know in climates like that that are hot and humid it'll sweat and and it'll be cold on the outside so if you you know if it's really really hot you see them panting put a vat of ice water just go to the dollar store and get one of those storage bins or something and grab a bag of ice on your way home and put it in there and put water in there and then they can lay next to it but remember you know cats thrive in the driest hottest parts of australia so, you know, cold is probably more of an issue than heat. And, you know, there there certainly are stray cats in very cold climates in this country, too. So they're managing to survive. But if you happen to live in a cold climate or it's, you know, getting down below freezing and stuff like that, I think it's more important to provide them heated dens, you know, feral cat dens. We put hay in them and you can make them yourself or you can buy the fancy heated kind. That's probably more more important and more, you know, for survival for a cat, what they need than worrying too much about them in the summertime. But, you know, keep a big bowl of water out there. Maybe get a dog bowl and fill it with water or a fountain. Put in a a recirculating fountain so that they've got water going all the time. Something like that that everybody will like. Yeah, interesting question. Yeah, sure was. And you think about all the cats that are really outdoor cats that probably, that's a good question. We've seen some pant in a way, so interesting. Okay, the next one is from Jen from Dallas who asks, do hairball treatments actually work slash help? Good one. Hi, Jen. (laughs) You know, cats with long hair, especially Jen's beautiful Persian princess, have more trouble than short-haired cats, you know, with hairballs. Cats can't digest feathers or hair. And most hairball remedies are a malt paste that comes in a tube, which works like a laxative to help move that hairball through the intestinal tract. And the treats, a lot of the treats will use mineral mineral oil, which some people are against giving a cat because it can and it can cause vomiting and and then you're worried that they might aspirate the mineral oil, which is toxic. I guess it creates some sort of lung toxicity to cats. So um, we're actually an affiliate for a natural pet supply company that carries Pet Naturals hairball chews, which are mineral oil free. And so if you want a treat, that is actually a hairball remedy. Email me and say, give me the link to your mineral oil-free hairball remedy, and I'll send it to you. Um, but most of the hairball remedies are the malts that come in a in a paste, like a tube, which is perfectly safe for cats. And cats usually really like the taste of that malt. And then you can also do a home remedy of mixing a teaspoon of, of olive oil into their food, you only want to do that for about three days, though, um, and that should help move anything through there. But but yes, they to answer your question, the the hairball treats, most of the hairball treats and the hairball remedies, they do work. They absolutely work, and it is a problem when you have a long-haired cat that's grooming itself. And you know, if you look at their tongues under a microscope, they look like they have little you know brush brush tines or whatever you would call those brush things and and it and it actually is like brushing their fur and so a lot of that fur comes off on their tongue and they 
get it down in in their gut and can't help but get stuck in their digestive tract. So it's common when you got a long-haired cat like your beautiful Persian princess. <laughs> she's pretty. She's a beautiful silver Persian. She's a really, really pretty kitty. Um, great, great. Good answer, good answer. So uh, the next one comes from Ren, who actually sent in quite a few questions. But uh, here's a couple right off the bat. I'm not sure that I'm understanding the first piece of this, but uh, let's go with it. How did you work out that two 10 to 15-minute prey play sessions per day uh, is best? How do you I, – I, I'm supposing the question is more about, uh, you know, where, when, how, you know, I, I guess two – Two of those why? a day when Yeah, it sounds like why? why how did you work out that two ten to fifteen minute prey play sessions are best? Okay. Got yeah. that. And and then the second question is and in those prey play sessions, do cats get the same number of kill bites or serotonin as stray kill as stray uh, I guess stray cats get all day long? Uh-huh. That's a good question. Um so the reason we say that the prey play sessions need to be 10 to 15 minutes long because that's about how long it takes for your cat to get tired, in all honesty. Mm-hmm. You know, our house cats are built for for speed, but not endurance. You know, cheetahs are built for endurance, but house cats are not. House cats are, you know, their whole, their whole hunting sequence is stalking, and then they ambush quickly doesn't really take that long, you know, and, and physically they're not capable of going that much longer. Their lungs are smaller in size, you know, and it's not a good idea to tire them endlessly. You know, if you, if you're playing with your cat and and you see it start panting, stop and take a break because that's, that's getting them too overworked. Their lung capacity can't handle that. So, it's simply just about all they need, you know, and some cats need a little less. Some cats, 10 minutes is too much, you know, it's more like eight minutes, but that's, that's how we figure that out. And, and twice a day is really minimum, you know, in the wild, they're eating 10 to 20 small meals a day. So they get a lot more kill bites in and, and probably more serotonin than a, than a house cat does. Wow! So if, you, if you have you know if you have time more than twice a day to pray play with your cat, oh by all means do. I see. Uh, sounds good. Another one that she um, sent in says, "My cats love chewing on elastic string of some wand toys. Sometimes I can only get them to play if I am using a toy with elastic. Should I avoid that material? I'm pretty sure." They swallow bits of it. That's a mm, that's a, that is another good one. So, yeah, the elastic cords and, and hair ties um, can be very dangerous if consumed. Uh, one of the Bengal catteries that I follow on Facebook showed a picture of a plastic bag of 15 hair ties that had to be pulled out from their cat's intestines surgically, you know. Oh, wow. And um, she said that he loved to chase the hair ties, wow. and she just wasn't aware that he was consuming them. So, Jeez. you know, don't avoid the wand toys. Just be sure to put them up when you're not playing with them, you know. it You don't leave wand toys out. And I wouldn't leave toys that have elastic cords out for them to chew on. You know, and, and we always say put the wand toys up anyway. That way the toy stays fresh, but it also stays out of harm's way, you know. So, 
So, yeah, don't avoid that material. Just put it up when you're done playing with it. It only, you know, it only gets played with supervised and you wrap it up and stick it up on a really high shelf or somewhere out of sight when the prey play is over. Good, good, good. That's a good one. Let's let's do one more from her also. She's asking, what are your thoughts about having different types of litter in each box? That's huh. a good one. It is a good one. So the only reason I can think of to do that would be if you have two cats who like different litters or if you're having litter box issues. So one of the things that that I do when we when we come across a cat that's urinating outside the litter box, we try to figure out, you know, does it like the litter box? So if the box is already big enough and uncovered and, you know, there's multiple boxes and they're in good locations, then we got to look at the litter and go, well, maybe there's something about that litter that they don't like. So I always tell people to set up a litter box array. So you would set up, you know, usually you confine, confine the cat to a room and you in that room, you put in three or four different boxes of litter. And we usually, depending on what you're using, we kind of go through what to put in there of different kinds of litter. And sometimes it's just piddle pads, no litter at all. Um, so, you know, that would be a reason to have multiple kinds of litter, I guess, if you're, if you're trying to figure out what your cat likes best. But um, overall, you know, litter should be, like I said earlier about the tracking, it should be soft and sandy and kind of fluffy and usually you can find a brand that they like you know and I've not really seen a situation where one cat likes one litter and and the other cat likes another but I suppose that could happen but I can't think of any other reason why you would want to have different litters in different boxes that's good that's good okay so the next one is from a lady and we want to really thank all of our listeners around the world and it was so good to hear someone from south new south wales australia karina karina is asks a complicated question really she wants to know why does our female ginger glare at our other cat she always starts fights, lots of noise, no blood, with our smaller torty female who is always on edge and scared of the ginger cat. How can we make her more tolerating of our torty? We, we have a three-cat household, and it's only since we introduced the torty back in February this year. Slow introduction, but the ginger has never liked her. That's interesting. Even built a cat highway that's cool and got another cat tree to create more territory that's good sounds like they're working on it but the ginger cat wants to claim everything especially the cat highway and the two rooms the tortie spends a lot of time in that's very interesting and and detailed mm-hmm. and and it is complicated and it's not easily answered without quite a bit more information because obviously there's some complex things going on in these cats relationships so uh, let me take one of the questions why does the ginger cat glare so you know staring is a confrontational body language to a cat so if we're working like with cats in shelters that are that are 
very afraid, scared cats. We don't walk up to the kennel, you know, straight on and look the cat in the eye. We turn to the side so we look smaller and we look kind of down and sideways glance at the cat so that we're not staring directly at the cat because that's a gesture of dominance. And when I say dominance, I'm not talking about there's an alpha cat. She's trying to be alpha cat because Cats just don't have those social hierarchies like dogs and other pack animals do. They have more fluid relationships with each other. So what she's trying to do with that dominance is simply claim territory. She's new. So she's like, I'm claiming everything like the cat highway and and rooms that the tortie likes to be in so that you know i'm showing a sign of territorial insecurity is really what she's saying that i've been plopped down into this new territory and i'm feeling insecure and so i want to claim my carve out my little piece of the pie here and that is reflecting her insecurity. And of course, the cats on the other end of that are like, hey, it's my territory. It's my stuff, you know. So there's that dynamic going on. So one of the things you can do is just like like uh, Karina said, you have to multiply your resources and you probably got to multiply them even more. You need at least one cat tree and scratching coat post per cat Plus one, kind of like the litter boxes, same thing. You got to have, you know, one more litter box than you do numbers of cats. So um, once the cats are comfortable that there's enough resources, that aggression will slow down. The other thing is space. You know, space is, you know, you do get to an overcrowding situation with cats. And there's a lot of theories on how much space is enough per cat we did an episode on how many cats should I have that talked talked a lot about that. But, um, but there could be an overcrowding situation going on. Definitely the cat highway is excellent because that multiplies space, you know, vertical space. That's why we always say we want you to put in shelves and climbing things so that you're actually expanding the square footage vertically. But you got to make sure on that cat highway that there's an entrance and an exit point or two entrances. Think of it that way. So that no cat can be chased up there and trapped and cornered with nowhere to go. So a lot of times I like to put a tall cat tree that leads to steps that goes up to a little highway or shelving system. And then it comes down another set of steps and off of another cat tree. That way you know, no one's going to get trapped or cornered up there. So if the if the highway doesn't have two exit points, think about adding that in. That will help. Um, you know, and feeding is also a, an important resource. I find that if you feed more frequently, then the cats will feel more confident. So there's a... Um, there, there's a, a misconception out there that, <clears throat> well... If I just free feed dry food, then the cat can just eat anytime it wants. And then it'll feel like it's got constant resources, like leaving a bowl of M&Ms out all the time. I can just go snack anytime I want. But the problem with that is that it's not natural to a cat. So a cat is used to eating, like we said, 10 to 20 small meals a day, and it never eats dry food in the wild. So I always recommend feeding canned food only and feeding it multiple times a day. An adult cat should eat about four times a day. 
a kitten, like our new little kitten, we're feeding him six times a day. And I look forward to when we can get back down to four times a day because <laughs> it's a lot. But a cat will feel more confident the more frequent it eats food that is nutritious for it. So the other thing is that dry food is just not nutritionally balanced. And there have been many scientific studies done that that reinforce that cats know what the perfect balance of protein to fat is for them. And that is not dry food of any brand, any kind. I don't care how much money you spend on it or what the marketing says on the bag. It's canned food. So they got to have that hydration makes them feel better because they're hydrated. Think about how you feel when you get dehydrated too. You get a dull headache. You don't have a lot of energy, right? You don't feel really good. So that can also lead to aggression between cats. So look at, you know, look for the episode, our podcast on what to feed your cat. And and if you can't find it, let me know. Just email me, molly at cattalkradio.com and I'll send you that link because... We do have over 80 podcasts, and um, sometimes it's hard to find one. It's like a needle in a haystack these days. So, uh, <laughs> so that is a complicated question, and I and I, you know, don't have a magic wand answer for you here. I suppose if I had more information, um, you know, like when people tell me that, well, we did a slow intro. You know, well, what does that mean? You got the cat in February. And that's four or five months ago. And, you know, maybe they needed more time. So to some people define slow. I always tell people when I get these kinds of emails, you know, tell me exactly what you did and the timing of what you did in this slow introduction. And I'll find out that a lot of times it was just a week or two weeks or three weeks. And that's not really all that slow in a, in a cat's world for bringing in another cat is extremely traumatic for them. So they do need time and some cats need more time. And how that intro was done, you know, really paves the way for how confident the cats feel together and how, you know, how, how well they do together. Sometimes you have to totally reset that button and start over and just pretend like, okay, this is day one, bringing this cat into the house and start that introduction process over so that your tortie doesn't become a constant hider because it's scared to death of this new cat coming in. And the other thing to do, you know, if I were, if I were counseling someone on introductions for cats like that, um, like I do often, I would tell you harness train the ginger cat, the one that chases, the one that's being the more dominant aggressor. And then when you have supervised face-to-face meetings between the two cats, the ginger cat's on the harness so that she can't go running after the tortie. And, you know, you reward for not pulling on the harness and you know, sitting calmly when the tortie's in the room and things like that so that they don't ever have those bad instances between one another because they have very long memories. So if a cat has a fight with another cat, every time it smells that other cat, it remembers that fight and those heightened emotions of fear and, and you know, and defense and stuff like that. So you got to really avoid those instances when you're introducing cats completely otherwise they might not ever get get on the same track so yeah, i think that's a good I think answer we have time for one more question right uh let me check yep looks like we do okay here's one 
what do you think about training foster cats to go on walks? That's a good question because, you know, the people that you're about to adopt them out to may not want that. So that's a good question. Yeah, no, it is a good question. And I did, we do get a lot of questions about what, you know, I'm fostering this cat. How, what am I supposed to do with it? How, how am I supposed to treat it while it's just temporarily in my home? But I think it's a, a responsibility of cat fosters and kitten fosters to create great cats. And that means doing everything in the foster home to help a cat feel confident and secure, which also includes mental stimulation and enrichment. So yes, harness train them and tell the adopters how much the cat loves to go on walks. And, you know, hopefully they'll, they'll keep it up too. You know, if you're fostering really young kittens, remember that a cat's developmental period is between three and seven ish weeks. And so Everything that that cat is exposed to during that period, it will feel comfortable with the rest of its life. Things that it's not exposed to during that period, it's going to be leery of as an adult cat. So as a foster of very young kittens, you know, we always have multiple people come over, handle the cats and take them out places and get them used to as many different things as you can. Even vet handling and carriers and car rides and leash walking and all that stuff. You want to start them as young as possible so that they're used to those things as adult cats. Because, you know, really as fosters, of course, we're fostering because we have a a passion for the cats and we really care about where they go and we certainly don't want to see them returned so we want to make sure that we're doing everything we can to make the best cat possible which is going to be a cat that's confident and secure and affectionate and all those kinds of things so absolutely take your foster cats on walks yes clicker train them do all that stuff pray play with them feed them properly all of that yeah Good job. Yay, that's a good job. And (laughs) I want to thank all those people out there that put together these questions because that really helps us and it really ties back to you and the information that you want to hear and situations that you're going through currently. So if you happen to have any other questions, we would love to read your questions over this podcast. And that question might be something that somebody else is has a, a question also very similar to that, and it meets their need also. So no to, no question is is too silly or whatever. Just send it in to us. If any of you would do that, like to do that, please send it to uh, the email of Molly at CatTalkRadio.com. We'll do a regular listener questions episode every once in a while to mm-hmm. check that out. And this was our first session because we have a lot of questions. So well, we had we had enough questions come in. I I posted on Facebook and uh, and got several people emailing me because of the post. And I mean, we probably have enough questions already to do three or four episodes. So that's awesome. Keep them coming, and and we'll just. We'll do this on a regular basis if everybody likes it, and we'll be able to tell by how popular this podcast becomes. Yay! <laughs> <So> also, be <laughs> sure to check out the blog on our on the website, catbehaviorsolutions.org, um, and absolutely follow us on Instagram. 
like us on Facebook. I'm always posting good tidbits there too and answering questions there. As I get questions in, I go, oh, that's a good question. I'll just go ahead and answer that on social media so that everybody has the immediate benefit of that. And of course, we we post very funny cat cartoons as well. So be sure to follow us and uh, share with your friends so that they can get all that good cat info too. And also, I'd like to add to that, if you've ever learned something from one of our podcasts, please consider sending us a gratuity donation. Any amount helps. We, we need to keep our, this show on the air, and it does yes, help us do. to do that. Uh, because it's a free podcast, we don't ask for subscriptions. So the show and us, we love to give back, and we want to continue to do that because we're going to keep doing that as long as shelter, shelter euthanasia, euthanasia is, is the, the number one cause of death, death in, in cats. cats. Boy, <laughs> we're working on that. <laughs> we don't practice this off air, as you can tell. <laughs> yeah, as you can tell. All All right, right, everybody. Thanks for tuning in today. And until next time, keep calm and purr on. Looking for products that address specific cat behavior issues? On our website, cattalkradio.com, you'll find things that will create enrichment in the environment for your cat. Toys that will reduce boredom, the world's best and safest nail clippers, and much more. All proceeds support our mission, reducing the number of cats surrendered to shelters. Stop by the site and pick up a few tips and tidbits for your cat today. Visit cattalkradio.com and look for The Behavior Shop. You can be a cat lifesaver by helping to keep us on the air. In the U.S., about 10 cats per hour are euthanized in shelters due to behavior issues. Through this educational radio show, behavior consultations, seminars, and articles, Cat Behavior Solutions intercepts cat behavior problems in the home, reducing the number of cats who are surrendered to shelters. Make a donation at catbehaviorsolutions.com. That's catbehaviorsolutions.com. Thanks for tuning in to Cat Talk Radio. Please join your host, Molly DeVos, for another episode of the program on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now, go make a connection with your feline friend.